Well, thank you. Greetings to you all from uh, my congregation, Grace Reformed in Walkerton. It's, uh, I'm very excited to be able to be here and uh, repay Joel a little bit. He preached for me for three months when I was on sabbatical right before we started this, uh, this, uh, this church plant here. And uh, we at Grace have been praying for you all uh, regularly. We're very excited for uh, everything that Jesus is doing here. Um, when he asked me to preach, I thought uh, I would pull a sermon out of a series I completed earlier in this year, uh, which is reflecting on God's, uh, the seasons that we have in God's life, um, or with, in our life with God. When we walk with God, there's various seasons uh, that uh, we are in as individuals, that we're in as a congregation. Uh, our passage this morning comes right after uh, John the Baptist is beginning to enter a winter season in his ministry. He's, he's leaving a time of, of uh, great uh, victory and success, and he's entered a time of um, uh, well, waiting and wondering what's happened, where Jesus himself is entering his own uh, season of great success and popularity in the min- in ministry seasons uh, with God. And uh, our passage this morning um, takes up an, an issue that we have to be able to do uh, with Jesus in whatever season we're in, which is um, transitioning to forgiveness with Jesus. Uh, one of the hardest things for us to do is to see somebody who has hurt us or those we love or who has betrayed us or those we love come to Jesus and find forgiveness. Because we know that our calling in is to join Jesus in forgiving the people that he's forgiven, and that means that we have to then face our own fear, our own mistrust, and our own vulnerability as we walk with Jesus into his own forgiving life with this person. Uh, Jesus understands uh, what we go through. He understands how hard it is to transition from a relationship of hostility to a relationship of peace. And Jesus understands the other person's fears too. He understands their fear uh, that they won't really be welcomed by Jesus' people because of the sins that they've committed. Uh, I think we've all had struggles on both sides of this equation. We've all had times where we've thought something like or said something like, maybe Jesus will forgive me, but I don't think they will. Or uh, maybe something like, Jesus can probably forgive them, but I don't think that I can. Uh, Both statements are rooted in a fear about how and if Jesus can transition his people from hurt to forgiveness, from a place of separation from God's people to a place of unity with God's people through the good news of Jesus Christ. These kinds of transitions are at the heart of God's gospel project, which he is doing in the world, which he's doing here at Heart City PCA, and they are the very core and center of what it means to be a Christian and to be a church of the Lord Jesus Christ. But they are one of the hardest transitions to make sometimes. Uh, so this morning, Jesus wants to give us some tools to make that transition by faith. He wants to teach us uh, what to look for in someone's life so that we can see each other with the eyes of Christ and shift our own view of each other from one of rejection, hostility, and distrust to one of welcome and love and growing trust and reconciliation. And he wants to give us those tools so that we can transition with him into a life of forgiveness with each other. And so let's get those tools. Let's read Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50, and then I'll pray, and then we'll, uh, we'll look at this some more. Luke 7, starting in verse 36. Let's hear God's word. 
One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50 When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt? And Jesus said to him, You have judged rightly. Then, turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, because she loved much. But he was forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Thus far the reading of what can truly be God's own word. Uh, Let's pray for his uh, blessing on it this morning. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this word which you have uh, written and inspired and preserved for us. Lord, we thank you that when you wrote it, uh, we were included in your vision because you have given it as your perpetual gift to your people. Uh, Lord, we want to follow your word, and uh, we want to live according to it and be transformed by it, but we know that that will not be possible unless your Spirit blesses it to us. And so, Father, therefore, we pray that your Spirit would give us ears to hear, minds to understand, and hearts to believe your word. Father, may the words of my mouth as your preacher, and may the meditation of all our hearts as those called to hear and respond to your word, may they all now be pleasing in your sight. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This dinner takes place right after Jesus has finished talking about uh, our need to enter well into the different seasons that our life with God will have uh, so that we can become uh, wisdom's mature adult children who are skilled in godliness, able to move into and out of each season well and live well with Jesus in each season. And there are a few more important things to living well with God than being able to give and to receive forgiveness. Uh, immediately after these lessons, which I sort of referenced briefly at the beginning, Jesus is invited over to a Pharisee's house for dinner by a man who we learn is named Simon. And then we're told that a woman arrives at Simon's house and engages in this surprising act of worship to Jesus that Jesus welcomes, but Simon rejects. And in fact, he doesn't just reject it. It seems to repulse him, doesn't it? And so we have to ask ourselves, why does Simon reject this woman's worship of Jesus? We're given two details about her that tell us why. 
Uh, we're told in verse 37 that she was a woman of the city, and we're told in verse 39 that she was a sinner. Now, a common way of putting these details together is to say that this woman was a, a prostitute or had committed some kind of sexual sin. Uh, that's not an impossible reading, but it does rely on an unfounded and maybe even totally fabricated belief that woman of the city is a euphemism for that occupation. And I could find and have never been able to find any source for that at all. That simply doesn't appear to be the case. And I also don't think it explains Simon's reaction exactly. Uh, if someone who engaged in sexual immorality were to walk up to Jesus and fall at his feet, ask for forgiveness, which is exactly what she's doing, uh, that wouldn't anger Simon. Uh, Simon is a Pharisee. Phariseeism was a reform movement within first century Judaism that was aimed at calling Jews like this woman to repentance and restoring them to the people of God. And the law in the Old Testament had provisions for restoring the sexually immoral through sacrifices and ceremonial cleansings. And the Bible also is full of uh, prostitutes coming to faith uh, or coming back to Jesus. You can think of Rahab, for example. Just like if a prostitute was to walk in here right now and ask for forgiveness, we would not be repelled, right? We would rejoice, I hope. Uh, I don't see Simon being bothered by someone with a sexually immoral past coming and asking for forgiveness. Okay, so, then, so what's the deal here? Well, most likely, I think, Simon feels betrayed by her or sees God's people as being in danger from her. Or maybe he sees her as a major opponent to God's work in the world. If you look back at the beginning of chapter 7, verse 1, you'll see that Jesus had been earlier in the city of Capernaum. But then in verse 11, you'll see that he had now, at the time of this dinner, entered a town called Nain. It seems to me that since Nain is called a town and the city most likely referred to as this woman of the city is Capernaum. And without getting into too many details, Capernaum was a city uh, that was known for drawing God's people away from their faith. Uh, a comparison for us might be Los, Ange Las Vegas or New Orleans. Uh, these are cities that are so full of temptation and opposition that Christians who move there deeply struggle to maintain their faith in Christ. And first century Jews had a very similar relationship to Capernaum for very similar reasons to the ones that we would think of when we think of Las Vegas and New Orleans. So given that, it's possible, I think it's probably even likely, that while in Capernaum, she had given up the outward markings of her identity as a member of God's people. Uh, it's also possible that she had stopped worshiping at the synagogue. It's also possible that she had stopped tithing and contributing to the financial and material and spiritual needs of God's people. All of this to say that her location and status as a sinner could mean that she had rejected the physical, visible, financial, sacrificial expressions of faith that are necessary to life with God and to our witness to the world and to the health of God's people. And related to that, it's also possible that she had started worshiping idols instead of the Lord. Now, all of that would be bad for her personally, but given the fact that the Pharisee knows who she was and was surprised that Jesus didn't appear to know who she was, means that she was probably pretty famous. There were more than seven Jews at this time in Israel, right? That's a joke. You can laugh. It's okay. Uh, the, the, 
therefore, it seems like the issue here is that she had influence. She was popular. She had uh, an impact on those around her. And maybe she had even encouraged people to join her in rejecting some or all of the faith. This is a possibility. So for us, we might think of a pastor who abandons the faith in a very public way, uh, taking a bunch of the congregation with him into unbelief, who starts you know, writing books and putting out YouTube videos, attacking the church, trying to draw more people away from Christ. Uh, Simon's reaction is much more consistent with a person who has been a real threat, or at least a real problem, to the Pharisees' good efforts at bringing about reform and repentance among the people of God. Now, with that, I have one more possibility to add as well. Uh, In the ancient world, temples would give loans to people. And as one scholar has shown, some Jews would choose to take loans from those temples to ancient false gods like Zeus or Artemis. And it happened often enough that people actually wrote about this phenomenon. And in those writings, uh, those Jews were called sinners. Because not only had they tethered themselves, tied themselves to idolatry, even if they didn't worship the idol, they were financing idolatry. And given that debts were usually paid off over time, they financed it for years and years, maybe even saddling their children with that obligation to give Zeus money if they died before paying it off. All of these possibilities show us why she would get this kind of reaction from Simon. She's betrayed us. She's abandoned us. She's opposed us, or at least funded those who oppose us. She's kept people, maybe even one of Simon's own children or grandchildren, from meeting God and finding forgiveness. This is real-life, difficult stuff. I think all of this, any of these options, any of these things together is why Simon responds as he does in verse 39, which I'll read again. If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. You see, the heart of this encounter is someone who has hurt people, betrayed them, betrayed God, and maybe even endangered God's people in some way by threatening their own life of faith. How can that person touch Jesus? How can I let Jesus touch me after someone like her has been allowed into his inner circle? Doesn't he know how dangerous she is? And all that brings us then to the way that Jesus starts moving Simon to consider transitioning with him into forgiving her the way that he himself has forgiven her. But first, remember, before Simon hears any of this, this this woman, or even before Simon says any of this, this woman has been engaged in an extraordinary act of worship. Look back at verses 37 to 38. I'll read those again. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Uh, Just to highlight her actions, notice that she stands behind Jesus. 
which means she takes the position of a disciple. Uh, A disciple is someone who follows behind Jesus. A disciple is also someone who sits at Jesus' feet to learn. And where is she? The text says that she's both standing behind him, but also eventually sitting at his feet. And she's weeping. Uh, She weeps so much, she's able to wash the dirt from Jesus' feet with her tears. Uh, I want you to just realize this woman is sobbing. Do people talk about ugly crying anymore, right? You cry so much, your face is just distorted. You have snot running out of your nose. That's what weeping is. She's ugly crying. She's weeping. That is what she's doing. And then we're told she wiped his feet with her hair. For that to happen, her hair couldn't be braided or tied up. It had to hang loose. And loose hair in Jesus' day was a symbol of grieving and mourning. And then she kisses his feet and anoints them with oil. Uh, To kiss someone's feet was a way of asking someone who has greater authority than you to show you kindness and mercy. You kiss the feet of kings and judges and generals, or Jesus, the King of Kings. She's asking for forgiveness and mercy. And then anointing their feet appears to be a way also of asking someone who is greater in authority than you for your friendship. This reveals her desire not simply to be forgiven and be given mercy, but to be Jesus' friend. She's saying here, Jesus, take me as your disciple. Teach me. I'm sorry for my sins, but I ask for your forgiveness and I want your friendship. Simon has seen all of this. But because of his hurts, because of his anger, because of his distrust, he can't get his heart around what's happening right in front of him in the most obvious way you can imagine. It's not possible for Simon to have missed any of this. You can't weep silently, right? You can't ugly cry (laughs) noiselessly. This is a loud, visible act, but he can't get his heart around it because of the things that have happened in the past. Uh, Most of us here have people who've hurt us so deeply that if Jesus were to stand here and they were ugly crying at Jesus' feet, washing the dirt with their own hair, asking for forgiveness, we would cross our arms and we would, with Simon, judge Jesus for letting this dangerous person get so close. See, Simon needs to transition from anger to forgiveness. He needs to transition from bitterness to love, just as we all need to be able to do if we're going to live well with Jesus and follow him faithfully. And that's why Jesus takes Simon's attention away from this woman for a moment in verses 40 to 43 and centers it on this story about two people who owed a debt, a debt to a single money lender. One owed a debt of 500 denarii. Now, a denarii was about a day's wage. So 500 denarii is 500 days. So this person owed more money than he could make in about a year and a half. The other person owed 50 denarii. So what a person could make in a little more than a month, right? 50 denarii is 50 days. Both have their debts canceled. Which one loves a money lender more? Well, the one who owed the bigger debt, of course. Now I want you to notice in this parable The parable doesn't focus on the debtors' relationships to each other. 
It focuses on the debtor's relationship to the money lender. In this parable, Jesus is telling Simon, it's not first and foremost about you and her. It's about us. You and me, Simon, her and me. It isn't about their relationship to the larger community. It's not about her relationship to Israel, the church, to Phariseeism and Sadduceeism. It's not about your relationship to the PCA or our heart city, PCA or Grace Reformed. It's about your relationship to Jesus first and my relationship to Jesus first. And it's on the way that each debtor loves a moneylender when Jesus forgives their sins. So the point of the parable is the way each one loves the moneylender for the forgiveness that he has shown to them. Now that point being made, Jesus turns to Simon in verse 44 and he asks him, do you see this woman? Do you see this debtor? Do you see the great need she has for forgiveness? Do you see her love for me? Do you see this woman? And I'd like to imagine that that question stopped Simon's brain the way that putting a stick in a bicycle tire will bring everything to a halt really fast. Uh, But let's be clear here. Before Jesus asked him that question, the answer was no. He didn't see her. He did not see her love for Jesus. He didn't see her repentance. Uh, He didn't see her present actions. He only saw her past ones. He didn't see someone asking for a new relationship. He only saw her in the terms of the old relationships she had already created. How many of us are guilty of always looking at people through the past and not through the present transforming work of Jesus? This is what Simon was doing. He was looking only at what had happened He wasn't looking at the new thing Jesus was bringing about. So he did not see her. He didn't see her love for Jesus. He didn't see Jesus' love for her, but he needed to. And so Jesus rehearses for Simon what he saw, right? He goes through all these things that are so obvious. You didn't do that. You didn't give me, anoint my head, but she anointed my feet, right? He did this so that uh, he would, so that... uh, be able to welcome her the way that Jesus himself welcomed her. As he says in verse 47, he wants Simon to be able to see she loved much. And who is it that she's loving much? Jesus. Jesus. See, the tool that Jesus is giving us in this uh, telling in the gospel so that we can transition to forgiveness with him, with people who have hurt us and scared us and hurt people that we love and who are maybe uh, we feel vulnerable and frightened by is to look for a love of Jesus in their life. And it's to look at their repentance to Jesus, their desire to learn from him, to follow him and to be his friend. Uh, Because if they love Jesus at all, that is evidence of their forgiveness, Jesus says. Her sins are forgiven for she loved much. And we are called to join him in that forgiving relationship. Uh, My friends, when people hurt us or betray us, it is hard to see them through anything but our own pain, 
our own suspicion, our own anger, our own fear. And if they come to church, if they come to Jesus, it's hard not to respond like Simon and ask ourselves, why would Jesus even let them come here? Doesn't he know how much they've hurt others? Doesn't he know how dangerous there are? Jesus understands that reaction, but he tells us to step back and ask not only what have they done, but what are they doing? Are they positioning themselves as disciples? Are they trying to sit at Jesus' feet? Are they grieving their sins? Are they wanting Jesus' mercy? Do they want his friendship? Are they showing these acts of love to Jesus who forgives? Uh, Because if they are, then we are called in Jesus' name and by his grace to change the way that we view them. We're called to see them, or at least to begin learning to see them, as new creations of God, and so work out that new creation life with them, just like what happened for us when Jesus forgave us our debts. Now, that's not easy, right? I'm not standing up here and saying, so snap your fingers and make it happen. It takes time. It takes prayer. It takes lots of prayer. I mean, isn't this why Jesus included the line in his prayer, forgive us our debts, we forgive our debtors, which by the way, follows this particular parable? Like, do you not think that Jesus is telling you to actually think about individuals who you are struggling to forgive so that when you pray that line, you're not just sort of thinking about what you're going to have for lunch, but you're thinking about the person that you're struggling to forgive because you know that Jesus has forgiven them. And this is why you pray this every day over and over again. Forgive me my debts as I forgive my debtors. Forgive my father. Forgive my mother. Forgive my friend. Forgive my neighbor. Forgive my coworker as I am forgiving them and help me to forgive them. Lord, you know the danger and the damage and the hurt and the fear that I have of them coming to you Help me enter into your own life of forgiveness with them. Jesus, help me transition with you into a life of reconciliation. One last thing. Uh, I said at the beginning, uh, this passage was, was not only about us transitioning to forgiveness with Jesus, but it's also us transitioning to a belief that Jesus will forgive us and will transition his people into forgiving us as well. Uh, It's not only about how we join Jesus in transitioning to forgiving others. It's about trusting that Jesus will, in fact, bring his people along with him into that forgiveness and transition us all more fully into the reconciled body of Christ. And at the end, what does Jesus assure her of? I feel like we read these words too often as throwaway words. He says in verse 49, Your sins are forgiven. She was begging for mercy. Jesus says, you have the mercy you wanted. She wanted his friendship. Jesus says, I'm your friend. She wanted a community of disciples to walk with. Jesus says, welcome. Your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And for Jesus... And for the Bible, peace and friendship and community go together. There is no real peace without real friendship with God. 
There is no real peace without a place in God's community. Uh, Just like there isn't real Sabbath without life, delight, and communion with God. Uh, In the Bible, peace means a restored experience, experientially known of that initial life with God that we have before the fall. It's a restored communal life with God, with Him, and with His people in reconciled, joyful grace. And so here at the end, I believe that Jesus, when, when Jesus tells her, go in peace, what he's telling her is not only that uh, she will have peace with him, but will have peace with his people. He's saying, essentially, while it might take my people a little bit to change their view of you, my view has already changed. I see you as a person whose past choices will be met with my grace, whose brokenness will be healed with my resurrection power. I see you as my forgiven friend, and I will, I will bring my people into that same vision so that together we can live in the redemptive peace of the gospel. When Jesus says in Ephesians through his servant Paul, he's broken down the dividing wall of hostility, this is one of the things he's talking about. So my friends, I don't know if you're in a place where you need to transition into uh, the forgiveness of Jesus and his people, or if you need to transition with Jesus in forgiving others. But wherever you are, this morning Jesus is inviting you to join him so that together we can all know his reconciling, recreating peace. And so I call you to follow him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Our God and Father, we do thank you for your incredible forgiveness, which has met us in our uh, deep impoverishment and has uh, brought us out of the pit and brought us to life with you. And uh, Father, we, we pray for those here who believe that they will never be really welcomed into your presence or into your community because of the the depth of their sin. Lord, we pray that you would speak peace and forgiveness to their heart and that they would have the assurance that through faith in Christ, uh, they can be forgiven and brought to life. And Lord, we pray for ourselves as you bring them and we pray uh, more and more people into this body of believers. Lord, we know that some of them will be hard for us to receive into our, our membership and into our fellowship because we will have past experiences, but Lord, we want to join you in the new creation life which you are building and bringing out and which you are upholding through your spirit. And so we pray that you would help us uh, to forgive as we ourselves have been forgiven and to walk with you in that forgiveness and to help each other uh, express the forgiveness of Jesus so that here at Heart City, your kingdom of peace and shalom and wholeness uh, where it would be known where there, there would not be a uh, we would be known as a place where there is no dividing wall of hostility but all are welcomed in the name of christ received and loved and we can experience that reconciling work of jesus more fully in our lives and we ask this all in jesus name amen